Hey everybody, it is Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast uh, brought to you this month by Lead411, Vidyard, and Gong.io. They've been super supportive to us in 2020 and we really, really appreciate it. Without any further ado, we're going to go super quick in the introduction. We have Will Allred, who is the, I don't know if he's a founder or a co-founder, but of a company called Lavender, which you can find at trylavender.com, right, Will? Yep, and co-founder would be correct. Co-founder, all right. So we, we don't want to cut anybody out. Um, but super excited to talk to Will because I want him to explain several things about Try Lavender. I played with it for a couple of weeks. It's very cool and helpful. Um, but also he's, he's raised some funds and done it in a unique way. So we're going to sort of dive in there, but we'll first tell people what Try Lavender is and, um, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, so if you've heard of Lavender before, you know, a, a lot of people focus the conversation around the writing platform. So when we first launched, that was the unique thing that we were really focused on, but you can really start to think of us as, you know, we want to be the most helpful assistant possible within the inbox. So as it relates to email, you know, we really want to be as helpful as we can possibly be um, with that. So that's everything from writing a better email, but also to managing your time so that you're not just more thoughtful and effective, um, but you're also you know, more efficient in how you go about email. Okay, stop right there, Will. If you've listened to this, you know me. Thoughtful and effective and more better in mail inboxes like give us some use cases explain what that means because that's all super buzzwordy i want to i want to know what pains you solve and specifically what that looks like in a use case for somebody yeah um so you think about like writing a sales email uh we want to do everything that you need to get that done as effect uh without ever having to like make you leave your current like workflow so yeah, say you get a reply. First thing you can see is you can measure the sentiment, the tonality of that email that you just received. And we actually give suggestions on how you should go ahead and reply. Or say it's a cold email um, and you're trying to reach out to a company, you can't remember what the CEO of XYZ company's uh, email is. You know, we're running automatic verification on the email that you put into the inbox. Um, but you know, the next step in that is like, as you're writing the email, as you're crafting that response, we're sitting there and we're actively coaching and guiding you to write a better email. So looking at sentence structure, sentence length, looking at you know, how many questions you're asking, looking at the, the overall complexity of that email to make sure that you're writing something that's gonna come across. Isn't it, isn't it also related to the person you're sending it to? So you're bringing in a little bit of their personality into this, right? Like in the background, you're, you're like looking at Scott Lease and you're saying, okay, for Scott, you know, this might be a better way to say it than how you might say it to yourself. Yeah. So we, we, um, it's actually a good opportunity to introduce sort of the roots of lavender. So, um, I met my, um, co-founders two years back. Um, yeah, lavender as a company and a, as a business is only about six months old. So, you know, earlier you were asking me about like series A, I'm like, we haven't even raised a series seed. Um, you know, we've, <laughs> we have some angel investors who've backed us and have supported us, but Lavender was a pivot. We actually, I met Will Balance at a hackathon in Atlanta 
where he pitched this concept of uh, taking a, a marketing list and segmenting it by personality traits and being able to deliver digital experiences aligned better to how people view and see the world around them. And so we set off for two years building technology that did exactly that. Um, and Lavender was like a pivot from that initial technology. So um, we took in like a, a database. So like Scott, what we do is we would uh, pull in an email and we would gather as much information on that email as possible. And using those data points, we would make um, estimates as to how extroverted someone is, um, how agreeable they are, um, you know, how open to new experiences they are, uh, how, how much of a desire they had to um, you know, be orderly and um, careful with like process. And we used all of that information to really change how marketers were approaching an individual. So like right now, a lot of times when a marketer is reaching out to somebody, it's based off of some superficial demographics and um, some previous behaviors. And so we were building tech that looked into really how that person wanted to be approached first. And then we kind of realized through releasing that, that, okay, now we had to build design and content tools to make it easier for them to go do that. Um, you know, everybody likes insights, but they don't. Okay, stop. Oh, you, you lost me. I'm snoozing. Tell me what that means, dude. Like, that's really cool. Like the, you know, maybe VCs want to hear that, but tell me what that means. I want to understand here's the use case where you would use that. Yeah. So instead of sending a blanket email campaign out to, you know, your persona of uh, millennial moms, instead you're focusing on the attributes of how they view and see the world around them. So um, if they're an extrovert, putting more people into the creative, uh, if they're an introvert, you know, make sure the creative. Uses but, so can you, does guys. that mean that if you're sending a marketing email out to all these people, it could take that email and individualize it? Yeah. And that's what we were doing. Um, you could send a hundred emails and Scott would get one version and I'd get another. Yeah. So what we quickly came in to realize was marketers didn't want to do all of that work. Um, and so we simplified it up to four archetypes and from the four archetypes, we then had to go build content creation tools around that. It's very scientific and technical and it actually sort of speaks to the pivot. Yeah. So, we don't want to, we don't want to talk yeah. scientific and technical. Fuck that. Exactly. Well, I and, just got said I'm fired up this morning. So he's grinning yeah, in well, the background. It's funny. We like, we struggle. You got to tighten this pitch up. Well, like this is way too much. We're five minutes in. All right, you can, so, see, so you we can get... see how we struggle to sell it, right? Because it's it's hard to implement. No, and it's not. Just we... tell people the pain you solve. You say, look, I can send you 100 emails and everybody gets their own version based on their own sentiment. Like, that's pretty fucking simple. So, totally. But the implementation of that means people got to do work and people like easy. Um, but that's not the point. You're not there to show them how hard it is. You're, show, you're there to show them the vision and the dream and that you have access to it. And that if they want access to it, they got to pay you. So, right, Scott? Yes, but I understand. I think I understand what Will's talking about. It's one thing to just sell it, but if you sell it and nobody is implementing it or using it successfully, 
they're not going to get any true value from it. And then they're going to question the decision. They're going to hit the eject button. They'll try to cancel. They won't, you won't have, you know, LTV and referral case studies and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, you're both, you're both right, but this is actually perfect because one of the things that founders struggle with, especially technical founders, is getting away from the minutia and the technical speak and figuring out a way to simplify a message and kind of get to the point as Richard's been hammering poor Will so far uh, on. How do you get coaching on that? I mean, where you don't have a sales background, I, I, I believe, Will. Um, where do you go to like, you know, learn how to sell? Like you've built this this thing, but you know, presumably you don't know how to speak to all of the value points and put it in particular order that gets people, you know, purchasing it. Where does the, where does the early founder go? Yeah. And that's a good question. An early founder for the most part, especially when we are building sorter. Yeah. An early founder is just trying to learn on their own and they're trying to just sort of scrape and figure it out. And to your point about keeping it simple, that's actually why we've seen such an adoption with Lavender is, you know, it encourages somebody like me. I mean, I, I think of myself as like the perfect user of our product. It encourages me to write more simply and dumb it down because, you know, first email I put into Lavender, it shoots back. It's like, hey, this is way too complex and you need to simplify what you're talking about. And like that mental reminder is such a nice like nudge of like, oh yeah, I need to meet the other individual where they are. And yeah. uh, you know, from a resource perspective, you know, there's great communities popping up, you know, Thursday night sales, which you know, has a great following of like SDRs and future AEs, things like that. I, I would love the idea of bringing more founders into communities like that so they can learn how to sell. Makes so much sense. What is the, what is the resistance? you think from a founder perspective is it like oh i'm not a salesperson i don't need to you know get involved or is it just like you're myopically focused on uh you know building the product and the and the experience and you know i'll get to that other sales kind of stuff later on yeah i think it's it's a lot of like the focus of like what's going on in the day-to-day and we kind of forget that like you know, the sales is like a huge part of the job and you know, selling what the vision is, meeting people where they are when you're in the minutia of how the product's built on a day-to-day basis. It's hard because you want to talk about how cool your thing is. And you want to talk about like all the, you know, sexy pizzazz that goes behind it. Um, but at the end of the day, as Richard said, it's like, okay, great. What do I do with that? That's a lot of buzzwords that, you know, what does that mean for me? And I, I think a lot of founders forget that. I fall into that camp all the time. Yeah, yeah, I think they definitely do. I mean, one of the things you said is you you want to explain to people like all the sexy pizzazz things that, that you do. It's important to remember, in particular, if you're selling to salespeople, like we're not that smart, we're not that technical. So all the things that founders think are so sexy I promise you 90% of them don't hit hard with your particular audience. Yeah. Okay. 
Just like so I'm doing. Key, That's the whole the point. Key, the key is to, is to figure out, okay, you know, my product as an early founder, I have like a hundred amazing things that I could talk about that are really, really cool. But the key is not what you as a founder thinks is super, super cool. It's what your potential customer thinks is super, super cool. And figuring out what three or four big hooks of enthusiasm and excitement can draw people in. And then as they're already hooked and you get deeper into what this thing can do, they start asking questions of you and you have all the answers and then you slowly reveal cool thing number six, seven, 18, 53 and whatnot. Going about it the other way with this, you know, big dump of here's a thousand super sweet technical things. It causes people to run away. It causes people to feel like it's too complex. And people like me and Richard are like, ah, eject. Like I, I can't handle it. Right. Yeah. So well, here's, the, here's the other piece I'd say to that too, is that, is that, you know, the way you explained it to me, right. You, it's very possible you would have paused at some point if I were a customer and said, does that make sense? And I would have gone, yeah. And you'd have moved on thinking it all made sense, which is one of the reasons I tell people to never ask that question. There's always a better question to ask. But anyway, that's that to me is the signal you might need to be looking for too as you try to pitch this. So yeah. So anyway, so go ahead. Yeah, no, and, and I, I think that's a, a good point, right? I, I don't come from like the traditional selling background. I actually come from a more of like consulting um yeah, email marketing is like in my wheelhouse, right? So like, I, I get how people receive and understand email. And so that's why we've been able to build good product. Um, my co-founder on the other hand, Will, he comes from a selling background. And every single time I write an email, you know, before Lavender, um, yeah, it was like, hey, how does this come across? And I would pass it to him. And he would literally cut like 90% of the email and just like, don't say, <laughs> don't send this. <laughs> and, and so yeah, we, it's, called, we, it's called be brief, be brilliant and be gone. Right. Yeah. Like that's, I think that's what he's trying to teach you. It's also, yeah. it's also good to have somebody to, to pass some of these messages back and forth to and kind of say, ah, don't send that one. Richard yeah, Richard and I do this all the time. Like, yep. hey, what do you think about this message I'm about to send? Do I sound like a jackass here? Is this I, is this good? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I have a I have a question for you, Will, and it's a uh, it's a tricky question. I think. Um, you, you use a tool like Lavender, okay? And let's say we've got now mass adoption of this particular tool, and so we, as a collective sales community, selling community. We're nailing everything. Like, you know exactly, you know, what kind of grouchy mood Richard's in. You know, Scott, you know, wants to be talked to soft and kindly because whatever's going on in, in his business and, and, and whatnot. Like, you're nailing everything. It's like so specific, so personal. Does it lose the sincerity at mass scale? Like if I get this hyper-personal thing like that, but every single email I get is just like that, and I know everybody's using this tool, do we worry at all that the, the receiver of the email is like, oh, that's pretty sweet, but a fucking robot sent that to me. So, you know, it doesn't mean anything <laughs> yeah. anymore. That's a tricky, it's a tricky question, I think, 
and I'm, I'm curious, you know, how you feel about that. Uh, I, I think about this question a lot because, you know, it, it sort of like gets back to that as a founder, you think about where it goes long-term and like what the implications are. Um, so with that, I mean, yeah, I think about the product and how it's built today and giving people too many easy buttons. You know, while giving someone an easy button is fantastic for growth, giving somebody coaching and feedback so that the actual inputs that go into the system get better over time, that's really where I like, that's where I like to nerd out and like what I care about because I don't necessarily care like I could, we could build a predictive algorithm that can rewrite your email for you, sure. But I actually want you to feel confident that you're becoming a better email writer through using the tool. And so, you know, we use a lot of you know behavioral science methodology to like nudge you into better writing behavior. So, like one of the things Richard brought up is like bringing in personal information on the person. Like I want you as a seller to do your research. I don't want it to get in the way of you like hitting your output numbers and stuff you have to do. But like, I want you to understand that like, you need to do research. And so we have that in the sidebar of your inbox. So ironic because Scott and I literally just yesterday were talking about this pager scientific method that you're discussing. Like we totally have no clue what the fuck that means. So, you know, <laughs> watch yeah. yourself. This is, this is where it comes out. But but the reason I'm saying this, and I'm sorry for being so feisty today, is no, you're good. The, the reason for that is that those are the kind of things that I think Scott's saying is like, hey, that sounds really good. But if you go too deep, then you can lose somebody, right? When you, you really had it there of like, hey, I just want to help people actually get better as opposed to, you know, just make them faster at it. Like That's kind of, to me, all you need to say. And I love the line, like one of the lines I love you just said is that, you know, um, wait, hold on. Cause I wrote it down shit, but it was that, that we're going to try and help people get like nothing replaces coaching and feedback, right? Like in terms of what you're trying to do. And that is a massive hook, right? Like that you implement an ability to not only give coaching and feedback, but also literally show them the results of what happens even before they do it. Right. And I think that's a really huge piece as a sales leader of like, oh, you're giving me what I need to talk about. You're giving me the actual ability to do this feedback and show the positive results of it. So stay away from Pedro. Yeah. Well, I, I think with that, right, like if people get anything out of this podcast, it's I'm not a like sales professional, but I am obsessed with the problem of sending really bad emails. And so like I dig into the minutia and like, I like love all that kind of stuff. And so like, yeah, am I gonna- I agree with you. Like there's, I don't, I agree with you. You are absolutely passionate about solving this problem. And I have no ill will towards that. And by all means you, someone does need to be this technical person, right? And I think that's why you found a great co-founder and a partner because you guys balance off each other. So I'm just trying to sort of show you like, Think about those things. And by the way, maybe a VC wants to hear that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> maybe they do want to hear those things. This so. is sort of this is sort of the like uh, sociological experiment with this, though, is what I'm driving at. Like, you know, Will mentioned, you know, getting out the perfect email. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, the perfect email to me or to you, 
Richard is great. But when I'm getting a hundred perfect emails a day, how is it perfect anymore? Like is per, is perfection actually personal? Right. Do, do, yeah. it aren't, aren't the flaws and some of the flubs and fuck ups like that, that we would all make, isn't it what kind of works sometimes and endears us to, to each other. So I have this, this like, I don't know the right, the right word, but I, these are the things that I, that I'm thinking about. Cause I, I mean, it's a great tool. Everything is going that direction for sure. But I'm just thinking like, you know, a couple years down the road when every message that I get is like so perfect. And I know not a single human actually really typed it with any kind of feeling. They just plugged it into a system. And so I think from a product perspective, and Will mentioned, he's like thinking about this all the time. That's gotta be something that I, I think the company that wins will like be thinking in terms of that as well. And it's, it, I don't know that there's an answer for it, but it's just, here's, yeah. here's part of the answer. This would be fabulous. Cause like I could see Scott, like if everybody knows Scott, he loves to surf more than I do. And every, if everybody sent a hundred, if everybody sent an email that said a hundred episodes, you know, use the word surfing and he got a hundred of those, he'd, he'd eventually get a callus to the surfing. Yeah. Email, right. Now this would be super cool. If you could, will go in and automatically listen to each episode and pull something out where it heard Scott ask this question. Hey, I listened to this part of your podcast and I love that you asked this question. I guarantee you, Scott eventually would go, wait a minute, everybody's using this tool to do that. But yeah. I, for a while, he might find the effort interesting. Well, and that that's sort of like, there's some things you just can't automate or like, at least I don't know if you should automate. Um, and so that's, maybe, that's back to that. Maybe that's the better question. Yeah. Should you automate it? Yeah. So like when I'm thinking about this, you know, a lot of the, the thought goes to all this analysis on the individual you're emailing, but like there's certain things about you as a seller that make you special and give you that secret sauce. And so I also want to make sure we put that into how we design the software. So like, the recommendations aren't just based off of how Richard likes to receive emails. It's also how Scott sees success in his emailing. So there's sort of like two sides to the coin that affect what that recommendation and that coaching is. Well, I want to, I want to pull out of this because um, there's a couple of questions I want to ask and, and it does sort of dovetail here is that, you know, you released on product Hunt the other day, right? Yes. So, you know, Scott and I kind of, well, I kind of know what product hunt is. Um, I think sort of the, I, even when I know said, about product hunt, here's what I know about product hunt. I know that lavender was number one on product hunt yesterday. Right. That's the extent of what I know. So, about. And I, I hope this isn't coming across pitchy because that was never the design of this conversation, but I think we're getting into some interesting thoughts along the way, but talk to people like what is product hunt? If they don't know it, the value of something like product hunt, um, not necessarily to lavender, but to anybody who's building something out, and and then what you know, what do you do with that when you get to number one? Yeah, so a few different angles that I like. I woke up to the number one spot, and it's like really awesome to see. Um, but what is product hunt? First, just tell people what product hunt is. Yeah, so product hunt is essentially like a a Reddit board or a messaging board where people will post a 
product. Um, and it's got a day where like it sits on the homepage and the front like lines and people will look at it and like product geeks will dig into the details and decide whether or not they like it. And they'll either comment or they'll upvote it. The audience is typically, you know, product managers, people who really like and geek out on product. It's a community of product geeks. Um, and so we posted it there, just, you know, knowing that like there's been some really successful companies that have gotten their start on product hunt. So like Robinhood, which is a, a financial brokering company, Front, which is a customer support uh, function. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a few it's others. A good, it's, a good, it's a good launch pad. A it's way. a good launch pad, right? Like you, posting on LinkedIn, like you can only grow your network to such a degree where like- you Don't get me started start on the, on, don't get me started on the limitations of the network growth. Uh, yeah so you know thinking about a product like the organic growth like it's fantastic that we've gotten through linkedin but like we wanted to like put it in front of some fresh eyeballs and see you know some validation from the market we saw that and getting the number one ranking and you know seeing people come and upvote and get excited about what we're building but the other thing that like really floored us and like i've just been like reeling about all morning is the community that we've built and you know tapped into within LinkedIn, within you know groups like Rev Genius, Thursday Night Sales, you know, they showed up for us big time. Like we thought you guys liked this, but like I didn't know if it was like you know pick me up from the airport kind of like you. And <laughs> like we we just like posted like hey guys we're on product that like really would love some support and people were like posting about it. People were like, commenting I was just like it it blew me away because you know I I, I, I don't know I, I just like I didn't necessarily know the level of uh, that's the kind of language by the way you use in your pitch hit me up from your airport like that was a genius line wow yeah yeah I thought sure I like you but do I pick you up from the airport like you that's the question. Yesterday was like the 5 a.m. flight pickup too. It wasn't even- There like, you go, there like you they, go. They were there and they showed it. I'm like blown away. Cause like, yeah, product that like, okay, we got number one product of the day. Like that's great. We get a little sticker for our website. But um, I, I, you know, what it really showed to me was like the work that we've put into building community, talking about email, you know, people care. And you know, people care about the problem. But like I was telling my team this morning, I was like, you, know, you guys should be proud of the work that you guys are doing because you know, we, at the end of the day, what we sell is confidence. Confidence that you're writing a better email, confidence that you're presenting yourself, your company in the best way possible. And like people are valuing that and they're valuing the work that our team What do you, just out of curiosity, let's say you didn't hit number one. Like, let's say you didn't even register. What would that have done to you guys, do you think? Yeah. Um, besides bruising the ego. Um, I mean, I, I think in some ways um, we would have probably taken that and said, okay, there's work to be done because this is a community of product people. 
Uh, and so the product needs work. Uh, on the other side, like it's easy to jump into like sort of the excuse game where it's like, um, well, it's a community of product people. Of course, they didn't like our sales technology, um, you know, that world. But yeah, I think if we didn't win or if like we didn't see the performance, um, it's hard to say, but like it, I think the easy answer is like, your mind immediately wants to look for like the cop out of like, oh, well, there's probably some excuse that I could like attach to it. But, you know, it, it comes down to, do people like what you're doing? And are you building something that people care about? Um, now you've been, now you've been building all of this essentially bootstrapped, correct? With a little bit of angel money, you said? Yeah. Some angel financing. Um, yeah. yeah. Huge. Now, now for the for the entrepreneurs out there go through the what are the considerations now as you as you progress if you will and, and you're looking at you know a larger seed round or a, a an a round potentially like what are you what are you considering what are you thinking about you know what are you trying to look out for so you don't screw up talk to us about that kind of stuff yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, the first thing I think about is paying my people. You know, they work day in and day out to build great product, you know, sell great product, market great product. And so like, I care about making sure they get paid and they get theirs. Um, and so, and like some level it's, yeah, by any means necessary uh, on like the financing side, like, yeah, however we hit payroll, like I don't, yeah, we'll figure it out, right? On the other side of it, there's, you know, considerations on the cap table, you know, there's considerations regarding, you know, what kind of partner you bring in, what optionality that creates down the line, because, you know, building a software like this at scale really is a profitable business. And so, like, do you really have to go that, like, full venture scale route? Or, you know, can you build it more sustainably and hold on to some of that equity? You know, if you, you think about like what you're selling to investors, it's a piece of the company. Um, I, I know you guys get this, but I'm just explaining it for clarity. Well, sake. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of people, especially salespeople, you know, they hear words like cap table and, and selling pieces of the company. Like, I don't think many salespeople know how much of the company a CEO or a co-founder retains having gone through all the fundraising rounds. Like, do you, do you know those numbers? If, if I was to ask yeah. you, like at series A, you're gonna own this much. At series C, you're gonna own this much. Like talk to people a little bit about that. Give, give them some specific numbers and, and educate them. Cause I think a lot of people will be shocked. Well, and you also have to think about um, like how many co-founders we have, right? With three, the- yep, three, the, yeah. It's a lot smaller really quickly. It's already smaller to begin with. Yeah. yeah. So it starts with it's one. Like me having, one to, me having to share, two, me have to share ownership with Richard. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. So as you can tell, right? Like this is what Scott has to tolerate every day. So yeah. So like the uh, I'm sort of trying to think of how to explain like the finances of this, but it's like yeah. well, think about it. If it's just you, you own a hundred percent of the company, but then you raise a round. And your ownership goes to what? And then you raise another round and it goes to what? And there's 
three yeah. co-founders. So rather than a hundred percent, you're, you're starting off with 33%, let's say, right. Um, talk, yeah. walk, walk everybody through like the, the numbers and how, how it goes down. Yeah. And I mean, there's different mechanics to this, but you know, uh, that initial round, you could see yourself selling anywhere between 10 to 30%. The next round, you could see yourself, you know, another 10, 15, 20%. You know, it, it hopefully gets better over time. You know, if it's not getting better over time, you're probably not seeing the kind of market traction that you want. What, is um, better, what does better mean? What should people, how do you interpret better? Better, it means uh, as a founder, we own more of the company. Um, but better also means the value of what we own is greater. You know, I think people get wrapped up in like, what's my slice of the pie and what does that look like? It's not about how, what the range is, it's about how much the value is of that slice. So like the reason you sell off 20% of the company is to put cash into the business so that it can grow so that you know, now 80% versus the 100% that you owned is now worth more. Um, you know, it's investing. Um, who, who coaches you, right? Like, you know, I know you had some seeded, you know, investors or not even seed. I know we're going to get into that, but who teaches you this so that, and I don't think VCs are out there to try and take advantage of anybody, right? Like, I think they genuinely do want to help, but they're still business people too. So who teaches you, whoa, you know, this is what value means. This is what better means. Or do you just, are you just one of those guys who just researches it and researches it and figures it out from internet? Yeah. Will froze. Hold on. Will, you there? Check one, two. This is the secret sauce that nobody's allowed to have, Scott. <laughs> That's right. The, 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 VC we, gods, the VC gods just cut the feed. Exactly. But Scott, while we try to wait for Will to get back, how would you answer that question? We'll still get Will's and see if there's a difference, but how would you answer that question of where do you go to learn this stuff? Well, unfortunately, there's no, you know, there is nowhere if you will, this is not like you're being coached and taught this and it's, it's not in some investor's best interest to help coach you through it. So you, it's on you, I think as an entrepreneur, not even just entrepreneur, as an executive for sure, um, to dive in and learn this stuff, you know? Who would you ask, like, would you go to a couple of your VC friends that you know would not be interested in, you know, who, you know, you know, you're, you're going for early well, you, stage. So there's mid-stage people that are VCs, that kind of thing. If you have, I mean, if you have that kind of network, you know, I, th I think a lot of people don't have that kind of network, especially people who are younger in their career. So, you know, I, I think you talk to people around you and your, in your inner circle, you, you build somewhat of a bigger network through places like link, like LinkedIn or some of the communities that Will's been talking about. Um, and you reach out to them and say, Hey, I've got two quick questions for you you know, try to start the kind of conversation relationship. Um, you know, you and I did a, a entire webinar with uh, Sam Jacobs and, and called Cadmus earlier this year. That was like April, maybe May. I don't remember, but I still get messages this week uh, about that. People thanking me for, for all of us doing that, saying it was educational and whatnot. So, you know, you look for 
events and, and conversations and dialogue about about equity. Um, and if you're a, if you're a founder, like you should be talking to other founders for sure. People who have been through this process once or twice, um, I'm sure plenty would tell you the things that they've done right. I'm sure you could find others to tell you the things that they've done wrong, right? Yeah. Um, so, I, but it's on you. This is like and you how, guys, it's well. We're going to come back to you. We we were able to sort of jump in and get Scott's answer, and it's kind of cool because it'll be interesting to see what your answer is, having not heard his. Um, Scott, how early should you start doing those things? I think that's the piece that a lot of us need help with. Well, I, I, th I think now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish I would have got started way earlier than I did. Yeah. Um, I, I think I wasted five years of my career being ignorant about equity and delusion and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, in my excuse factory comes out right now to Will's point earlier about the excuses come out. Like my, I immediately started thinking, well, there was no LinkedIn. There was no podcast back then. There was none of these, you know, yeah, there was none of that shit, but that I could have got the answer somewhere. Right. And, and I didn't, I didn't go find it. I didn't go seek it out. And I kind of grew into that. Um, and I think that points to the importance of having a network in a community and, and surrounding yourself with people who, have more experience maybe than you who have done some of these things who can talk to you about this, educate you on it, get you started. Um, so I, I think, I think anybody who's got an entrepreneurial bug should be looking into it right now. And, and when you're at will stage, like you better be aces at understanding this stuff. So will, you know, the original question before we lost you was where do you go to learn this stuff? Right? Like, you know, you're, you're, you're going into a series, a pitch or B or C or, Probably A, right? Or even C. Who goes in to help you prepare? And I, I'm not sure the word protect is the right word, but there's some sense of that of like, hey, I, you know, we want to be fair to everybody. How do I learn what's fair for the VC and fair for me without either one of us taking advantage? Where did you learn that? How did you learn that? Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um yeah, if it wasn't the most 2020 thing for my Wi-Fi to cut out in the middle of the podcast, I don't know what is. Um, but it gave me some time to think about the answer. So, um, yeah, thinking back to our own experience, I didn't come from an entrepreneurial background. I came from a consulting background. I was lucky in that my co-founder had tried to start something prior. And so he had sort of tried a lot of these things and learned on his own. And so I was able to learn from him. But the other piece of that is having a network of advisors, um, you know, finding people within community. Like, um, yeah, you can get fantastic advice from folks who've you know, done it before. What's even better is to find a network of people who are doing it right now um, and reaching out to them and having conversations. I think the, the value of those conversations like multiplies when you're learning together with somebody versus um you know being preached to um the the other thing is like if you're a founder and you don't have oh we're losing inclination to just like say that say that again will yourself. you cut out for a second say that if you're a founder and you don't have what was that we might have lost him again Oh my goodness. So Scott, can you, do you think you know what that means? 
I'm not sure what he was about to say. I would hate to try to put words in the, in his mouth. I do think it was an interesting point that he made about how it's even better to have an advisor, if you will, who's also going through it right now, as opposed to somebody who's been there and done that previously. Um, and it's an interesting point about how, how he said, you know, you avoid feeling like you're preached to, right? Uh, rather than somebody sort of maybe being condescending or talking down to you, it's like, no, I'm learning this right now. Like this just happened to me 12 hours ago. Don't let this happen to you. Right. right? That was an interesting right, guys, I've officially made. given up on my computer's internet. So <laughs> I'm on a phone now. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, the other thing that I just wanted to touch on though was, you know, you've got to be, like maniacal and focusing and like learning and digging into the resources. Like venture firms have put out some fantastic stuff. Like, um, yeah, if you really want to dive deep on like understanding venture capital, you know, similar to a sales process, like you've got to understand your buyer. You've got to understand the capital sources. So like similar to the approach that I take with like, you know, a pivot into sales and just like diving deep on like the mechanics of how sales works, you know, you've got to do the same thing for um, this other sales process, which is you're selling the business. You're selling a piece of something that you're building so that you can grow it faster. And so if you're not doing the research, you're not digging in and like becoming an expert, then you're not necessarily going to set yourself up for long-term success. Would you, just out of curiosity, based on the success of Product Hunt, right, and this is a, a group of technical people, might you, you know, if someone commented and you could go figure out who that person was, would you pick up the phone and say, hey, man, thank you so much for the support. I'm at this stage. Have you been through it? Like, would, would that be a good resource for you? Because it is your kind of community, right? It is that technical mindset versus, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And and. Have you done that or, or would you consider doing it? I don't know how many advisors you have at this point. So. Um, so I've actually spent, sorry, give me two seconds. Um, I've actually spent. Here we go again. Welcome to 2020. Thank God it'll be over in a few weeks. The good news is that it's ending the same way it started. So at least it's been consistent. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, not just like, uh, yeah, digging in if somebody had a comment and like asking questions, but like, you know, folks that supported us, you know, saying thank you, but also being like, hey, would you be open to spending an hour and just like showing our team how you use the product? Like clearly you like it enough that you would like take time out of your day, create a product and profile, go and like, like and comment on what we're building, like clearly care. So like, can you show our team how you use it so that we can dig in and continue to build for you? That's awesome. We gotta, we gotta wrap it, not because of the tech, but because of the length. Um, and this has actually been fun. And, and by the way, thank you for letting me grill you and hammer you on some things. I don't know why I got so fired up, but um, I was, so I am. Uh, you know, this is the part where we, you know, before you answer, obviously a quick shout out to Gong and Vidyard and Lead 411. We appreciate their support. Um, but you know, what question would you like to ask us? What advice can we give you? Um, 
You know, um, I, I joke that like I, I wouldn't be the person running at your sales org, right? But as a founder, you have to wear a lot of hats and you have to pick up those kind of hats sometimes. And so like for us, we've um, just started ramping up a, an SDR intern and, and trying to turn him into a selling professional. Um, yeah. What advice do you have for someone who really doesn't understand that kind of management? And yeah, basically like, how can I quickly ramp up some level of expertise in sales management so that um, yeah, the person that yeah, I'm uh, having a report to me as they go out and sell um, can be as successful as possible? I think it's about educating yourself and you're, do, you're doing that and making attempts there. And I would say not just you, but also your co-founders should be putting in the same level of effort to understand not just salesmanship, but also sales leadership. Um, so building relationships and connecting with folks who do it right now, who have done it before, um, listening, observing, asking questions of reading about all of these things are going to be, um, you know, super valuable. I think you got to understand at the end of the day that sales leaders main job, I think is to remove obstacles in the path from their sellers so they can close more deals. So whatever things that you can do to be supportive and, and to make the sale easier for your seller, that's what you want to do. Some days that might look like a, you know, 15 minute psychotherapy session with them to get their confidence back. Other days it might mean, you know, listening to them tell you, we really need this particular feature or this bug fixed. I can't sell a deal without this and you prioritize it and get it done. But just constantly, you know, removing blockers uh, from their path. That's, those are a couple of things that I would say. Richard? Yeah, I would, I would suggest um, I, taking your own advice, right? Talk to people who've gone through it and talk to people who are going through it right now, right? Like, I think it's a, it's a, that's your own advice. And I think that was great because I would not have thought about that from the VC perspective. Um, and I would tell you to carve out, you know, at least an hour in your week, like literally block your calendar where you're only going to research managing people. Right. Because if you don't, it'll get pushed down the priority list. Um, although I think as technical founders, I think technical people tend to gravitate to that anyway. Like you, you sort of dig into the research, whereas sales leaders are like, I don't have time for that. Right. Which, in fact, they need to make the most amount of time. So you might be wired a little better for that research. But but put it on your calendar because it's that important. Right. And it's going to be even more important as the company gets bigger. You know, managing one person's note is very different than managing three or five or then hiring your first line manager and managing a manager and then, you know, scaling, right? So again, you know, I, I think just start your research on that stuff um, and talk to people. I love, you know, like I'm sure, I don't know if Scott would be upset by it, but I, I'm sure that if you ask that question on Thursday night sales of like, look, I'm a tech founder, I need help on managing. What advice do you, do people have? If they haven't already done that one, I would think you could get it. 
or you could even ask it and then you know scott could say hey everybody go into the chat and tell tell will where to cut, get a hold of you or something like that to do offline or something like take advantage yeah. of those network resources and there you're in that audience you're talking to those sales leaders and we've all been there right um, the only other thing i would suggest is next time um, always hire in pairs particularly at the sdr level um, because you're never really committing to two full year salaries unless it goes really, really well. And if it's going really, really well, you won't care, right? You'll know in three to six months if this person's the right person. And again, I also think too, it depends on what experience level. Like, are you going to go and hire somebody who's been in SDR for six or 12 months versus someone who's just out of college and it's their first SDR gig? So there's a balance in there too. So th those are my pieces of advice on, on learning how to manage people. Yeah, that's helpful. Because I, I think a lot of founders would probably jump towards the excuse factory of like, oh, I'll hire for that. And like, we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, I'm much more of the mindset of like, to have control and understanding of what's going on there before I can truly like. So this is the, yeah, this is the last piece of advice. And I know we have to jump after this. But um, one of the challenges I see with technical founders is they get frustrated unintentionally that salespeople can't sell as well as them. And what these founders and CEOs often don't realize is that when you're selling the product to somebody, they're selling, you know, they're buying will and your passion and that they know that you're going to be able, you know, if you start getting into all that technique that they're going to be like, all right, this guy's smarter than me. Right. And that's all I need to know. And he's on board. So they're buying you as much as they're buying Tri Lavender. And I think that's mm -hmm. another piece that, that, you know, founders need to also understand what it really means to ramp a salesperson and what that looks like from a product knowledge perspective, as well as just the title alone. People pay attention to you because you're the title, right? And co-founder means a lot. So I'd be willing to bet if you took co-founder out of your emails that are prospecting, it'd be, it'd be an interesting A-B test to see how many responses you get that they want to take the meeting. Yeah, uh, I imagine it would go down dramatically. <laughs> I think I think it's worthy of testing. Like you, should, I mean, even if you do it to ten, right? Like you know, and don't don't pick your ten favorite. Pick your if you got a list of a one to a hundred, pick ninety one to a hundred. <laughs> I've done this. I've done this test before. It goes down at every level. It goes yeah. down from founder to VP, from VP to AE, and so forth. So, well, we appreciate you spending some time with us, Will, and powering through uh, the bad internet situation but uh you know, that. thanks again and congratulations and keep up the good work awesome hey thank you guys thanks will yep